it's that mindset of just being open to to helping other people. You know, I like to spend my time with 30% of people above me, 30% of people mm-hmm. on my level that I we can push and hold each other accountable, and then 30% of people that I can help below me because you never know, you know, when they're going to be able to help you again in the future, and then 10% to yourself. It's important to reflect and and keep a clear head and meditate and enjoy your personal life. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and we have a very special guest with us today, Wade Swikel. Wade is the founder and CEO of Two College Brothers Moving, it's a storage and franchising business. He's also the host of the Grow Your Moving Company podcast and co-founder of Moving Titan Retreats. Uh, not everybody runs retreats, so we'll have to get into that or a podcast. So anyway, uh, just wanted to welcome you to the show, Wade. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Wade, we always try to start with just some context. Of where did you grow up? What was your family like? Uh, what, what, tell us about your early days. Yeah. So both my parents were in education. They were teachers, guidance counselors. Grew up in Venice, Florida. Uh, I was born and raised here in Florida. And uh, a lot of people can't say that. There are a lot of transplants in this state. Really? But my parents were always really in- interested in real estate. They, uh, My mom's currently a realtor. They've both had a lot of investment properties throughout the years. And they were, I always like to say that they, they were joggers. So like we'd, we kind of grew up doing these 5Ks and uh, 10K races. And they would go jogging in all these different neighborhoods and they would always see these houses for sale. They'd jog past like the same houses that they'd right. see one that was for sale that they'd had their eye on for a long time. And so uh, we'd spent, we spent a lot of Saturdays and Sundays touring open houses for fun, I guess. That was yeah. their version of a, of a fun Sunday family activity. And uh, they made offers on several of them and we moved a lot as kids uh in the same city uh, or town i should say venice isn't really much of a city but it's a it's a town it was a nice sure. community and um and so we moved several times uh from you know my early childhood all the way through graduating high school and even while i was in college they kept doing their thing so um you know i i saw a lot of different moving companies come and go i helped on a lot of different moves and i i hated every minute of it uh, <laughs> don't we all yeah, I never, I, I didn't like how we had to keep moving, but that's just what they wanted to do. And they were the parents, so just had to do it. So, you know, they always joked and said, wouldn't it be funny if one day Wade owns a moving company? And <laughs> here I am. <laughs> here I am. Oh, I love that. We were talking but, uh, before we started recording about how sometimes, you know, your stories from your youth have a string that people, sometimes people don't connect the dots. You know, even even those seeds that get planted, and sometimes we have fun maybe helping them connect those dots. But with yours, those uh, you've already connected those dots pretty uh, easily. Okay, so but you didn't just you know uh, start a moving company right out of high school or anything, right? You go off to college. This all came later. So what happens after you uh, where you go to college and all that? Tell us about those years. Yeah, so I was a big baseball player. I played uh, baseball my my freshman year of college at a small D2 school in North Carolina. Uh, came back home for the summer and uh, needed to find a job. I was uh, going to be transferring up to Gainesville to uh, go to the University of Florida because the, the whole baseball thing it was about that time to hang up, hang up my cleats. So I uh, decided to go get the big school experience and uh, I needed to get a job. 
So it was during the uh, 2008-2009 recession era, era. And in the summertime, uh, that's a really slow time of the year for uh, like a kind of a touristy beach town in Florida. Uh, most people come in the winter. And so there weren't a lot of businesses that were hiring. It was really tough to find a job. And uh, my dad had uh, had a contact that and I said that I could go work at, at the mall in some back room folding clothes. Uh, and that sounded miserable. That sounded like yeah. a miserable way to spend my summer. So <laughs> I, I decided to try to find something on my own and take things into my own hands hands, and started posting ads on Craigslist that I was just a young college athlete looking for any kind of general labor. And I did some work, uh, you know, doing all kinds of odd jobs, mowing lawns, helping out handymen and just doing, you know, being a helping hand in different, different trades. And uh, I started to get a lot of calls to help people load and unload U-Haul trucks. And I actually kind of enjoyed that work. It was a good physical workout. I yeah. usually, you know, I got to see new job sites every day people. They usually fed me lunch, tipped me at the end. So I did that pretty much all summer and saved up a few thousand bucks uh, and then made my way off to Gainesville and uh, worked, continued to work some odd jobs. But I would always kind of go back to the Craigslist thing and, and posting ads to help people load and unload uh, rental trucks and just kind of supplement my spending money. And I kind of got the wheels turning and, and thought, you know, maybe I could bring some of my friends out to help me with this. Uh, maybe we could, uh, you know, work together. We'd usually just split the money at the end of the day. And uh, when I graduated with my undergrad, I, I did it in uh, telecommunications and broadcast journalism. And I realized I didn't really want to go into that field. Uh, one of the professors said, if uh, if you want to make $19,000 a year for the first five <laughs> years of your career and go live in the middle of nowhere and work 14 hour days, then this is the job for you. It sounds like minor league baseball. Exactly. These are your two things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was yeah. it was very competitive, and so you yeah. you know you can get away. That you most most uh, small town markets they don't pay a lot. So, but it's a right. stepping stone to try to get up to the big show because obviously right. it's like like professional baseball. If you make it on you know NBC nightly news, you can be making some big dollars and, and be a little little bit of a celebrity. So, uh, but I decided that wasn't really for me. So I, I did what any college student that's having too much fun in college would do, and I applied to grad school. <laughs> and uh, I applied for, I was always interested in business. I uh, had a lot of friends whose parents had owned businesses growing up, and they all seemed to be the more well-to-do families. And so I uh, you know, applied for an entrepreneurship program with the University of Florida uh, Warrington College of Business, uh, got in, and um, part of that program was to start a business. So I, I you know, played with a few different options and, and ultimately ended up going back to this moving uh, student moving concept idea. And uh, that's what I decided to pursue. So most of the kids in my class were starting, trying to start apps or some kind of right. technology startup. Um, and, and I was the only one in the class who wanted to do a, a home services trade. Yeah. Uh, so they all kind of thought I was crazy. But, uh, but I think, you know, 11 years later, I'm the only one from that class that's still doing what they were starting back then. So, so yeah, I just, you know, graduated from that, decided to pursue it. Uh, Two College Brothers was actually the name of our biggest local competitor. My original company was called Smarter Moving Solutions. And they called me one day after, shortly after I graduated and they were trying to move on and do some other stuff and offered to sell the business and ended up buying the company from them and the brand and hmm. decided to use their brand because I felt like it was a more franchisable model. They had been around a little bit longer, so they had a little bit more leads coming in. And uh, just went full on uh, behind the two college brothers brand. Uh, my brother worked for me at the time, so it kind of made sense. Uh, and just grew that up in Gainesville for about ten years. Uh, so okay, okay, let me get this timeline straight. Sorry to interrupt, but so 
All right, you started. How far into the business were you with your your name and, and and starting that before two college brothers came along? I was just over a year in. With okay, so it wasn't too far. No, and this thing think, comes up for sale. Yeah, and it, how did that go about? I mean, did you kind of approach them, or did you just see it posted, or how'd that happen? No, yeah, they'd been in business for about three years, so I followed oh, okay. really closely. Uh, I kept one of their flyers on my desk as motivation, and. Okay. Uh, they had opened up like two other locations across the state of Florida. And so I was sitting in a meeting with my right hand guy and we were talking about, you know, how can we open up more locations like they are? And my phone just rang and I didn't, you know, recognize the number, but I picked up and it was one of the brothers. And he, he said that, you know, they, they were looking to move on and do other stuff and they wanted to sell the business. So we had a couple of meetings and I made him an offer for like a third of what they were asking. It was pretty much all I could afford. And, uh, they eventually ended up accepting that. And uh, I realized that their other two locations were kind of just like shadow locations. They didn't yeah. really have any infrastructure over there. Uh, they had had like some student ambassadors that were just recruiting their friends to go pick up small jobs. So we closed those down and just focused on the Gainesville branch um, and uh, just spent the next couple of years just fine tuning that and growing that as much as I could. And uh, I opened a second location down in Tampa in 2015 which was probably a little premature because for the next three years, it was a, a, a struggle trying to trying to get that off the ground and then still manage the Gainesville location. Yeah. It's really hard, have... right? That expansion. Yeah. And I had bootstrapped pretty much the entire operation in Gainesville. Yeah, okay. Let, let me back up. I'm fascinated by this acquisition so early. Okay, yeah. was it an earn out or did you have to borrow some money? Just curious. Yeah, so my, uh, my older brother uh, lent me the money that I needed on a three-year note. Okay. And, you know, I made a bunch of calls to everybody. That was one thing I learned in my entrepreneurship class is like the money's always there. You just have to, you have to find it. You know, if you, if you want to raise money, you can do it. You know, people will invest in somebody who's ambitious that has a, has a game plan that, that they see an opportunity in. And uh, I just happened to be lucky enough that, that, you know, my, my source was close, closer to me. He was, he was my older half brother. He had an established career in corporate America for a couple decades at that point. So, um, yeah, he, he said, you know, I just want to see you succeed. Here you go. You know, give me back in three years and we'll be good. So did that. And, um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much how the, the merger, so to speak, came, yeah. came to Well, it's, it's a kind of a neat success story. I think I hear more horror stories about the family loan, uh, <laughs> for the small yeah. business then. So this is really kind of a cool. And what, what's so neat about this is, is uh, since I kind of know the story, there's some building blocks here, folks, that are, that are building. You're going to kind of see how this all really logically fits together. You, you, as a kid, you're moving around. Uh, then you start this business, the, the entrepreneurship program. You know, I, I usually think of those things as like, hey, well, make up a business. You don't actually have to do the business, but just, uh, you know, it, it's more of an exercise uh, than a reality. So I think it's pretty cool that your project you know, so many people complain that maybe what they study in school or even in graduate school doesn't perfectly apply to what they end up doing. I think it's kind of cool how that all really applies. You know, you really use that and, and uh, kept consistent with that. Yeah. So, and, it, and that's exactly kind of what it actually was. I mean, it was more like an exercise. Okay. Um, and I didn't realize that. I just knew going into that. <laughs> he said, hey, let's do it for real. It, it works on paper. Yeah. Let's do it for real. I need a job yeah. anyway. 
Exactly. I think I started it like a week before I actually started classes. So I just took right. it on myself trying to get ahead, you know? Right. Uh, right. And then you, get, and, you walk in class and like, no, you didn't actually have to start the, what do you mean? I already started it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much how it was exactly yeah. how it went. So, but it was good. I had, a, I had a lot of yeah. mentorship from, from the professors. You know, I, I definitely learned more in a year on my own than yeah. I did in school. Um, right. But it, it laid some good foundations and it gave me an excuse to still be kind of a student for a while. I mean, I, while I was doing that, I was kind of halfway running. You know, I was running the business, but I wasn't 100% in it. You know, I was still being a student and it was just, you know, a way for me to support myself and, and pay my, my way through that, that master's program. So, yeah. um, and then I went full, full steam ahead once yeah. I graduated and had the, had the, the free time to do so. Well, okay. And then I think where we left, uh, the story was opening Tampa and what a struggle that is. I, I think, you know, one of the things we try to do on this, uh, podcast is, you know, nobody wants to hear the up and to the right because it's not realistic. We always have setbacks and stuff. So I like that you really were honest about that second location is hard, you know? I mean, even if you have yeah. the model down in one place, you're like, oh, this is simple. Let's just replicate it and just do it other places. And, and I know it's been like that for us. Like sometimes it's harder to open the second and third and they're not as connected to the vine and you expect them to know the things that you sort of intuitively know and you got to get training up and running and all that. So can you kind of unpack that experience a little more? Yeah. Yeah. It was really tough. You know, like I had said, I had pretty much bootstrapped our Gainesville office yeah. in the Tampa office. I thought I could pretty much do the same thing, but it turned out to be a lot harder than, than it was in Gainesville. There's a lot more competition. It's just geographically a much larger space. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as like tight knit of a community like Gainesville was. Um, and I thought I knew what I was doing until I got into a bigger pond and, you know, the stuff that was working for me in Gainesville wasn't working Tampa. The wow. labor pool was completely different. Wow. You know, I had all these connections from going to school up there that I didn't have down in mm, Tampa. That's true. So, yeah. So it was tough. We, it took three or four years before Tampa started to, to do anything. And, and, you know, I was just too stubborn to close it. You know, I kept, <laughs> I, 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 I at that point, I'd rather ran myself ragged than try to, you know, concede to the the right. You know, You're not going to concede the loss. Yes. Yeah. But in in COVID, during COVID, we moved uh, our whole headquarters down to Tampa. I went to a, a mastermind retreat um, that was just kind of informally organized by some other moving company owners in late 2019. And uh, the big takeaway that I had was that I needed I needed to be in a bigger pond. I needed to have my mm. focus in a bigger market where there was just more potential, more opportunities, get closer to the action. Um, so we moved our headquarters down. We kept the office in Gainesville. I still went back and forth a lot, but but we got a big warehouse here in Tampa like six months later after that 2019 retreat, right in the middle of COVID. Um, I think we got a pretty good deal on it because a lot of businesses kind of froze up during that period. And, and we were, you know, maybe dumb enough to... to, to invest in it, more infrastructure, but it actually ended up working out really well because the housing market caught on fire and I didn't know what was going to happen at the beginning of COVID. I, I was kind of scared. I thought, you know, we might lose it all. Um, and it ended up being one of the biggest, you know, booms in our industry because so many, the housing market just heated up so much interest rates dropped uh, to like unspeakable lows. Right. And, uh, you know, things just really took off and gave us a lot of momentum. And now, uh, we started franchising the concept um, within about the last year, and we sold our Gainesville location as a franchise. So that's now independently owned and operated. And we're looking to sell more franchise territories. Uh, I've essentially spent the last 11 and a half years you know, making every mistake so that a uh, prospective franchisee doesn't have to. And just reverse engineering the moving 
business. Uh, I host the, the podcast where I interview other successful moving company owners, find out what works from them, pull all these different nuggets. And I've got the Moving Titan Retreats, which is just, you know, it's basically a, a, a an event planning, retreat planning business that kind of uh, parlays off of that very first informal gathering that we had where we made the decision to bring everything to Tampa. And that's another big mastermind thing that we do and just learn from all kinds of cool people. And and both of those events give me access to a lot of really, really high performing people that, that are motivating, but also I can I can learn from and connect with all around the country and even Canada. Um, so it, it's all just kind of like part of this moving ecosystem that, yeah. that has allowed us to create really dialed in systems and processes, like learn exactly, you know, the best practices in this business, hear what new things are on the horizon in the business, what pitfalls to avoid, how, you know, leveraging vendor relationships and and that's why we I just I finally decided to franchise was because I felt like we've got a really good bundle here. It's a business in a box, basically. We have the recipe, we have all the systems, processes, training videos, marketing templates, we've got, you know, the connections with the vendors and the suppliers and uh, we know what marketing works. We have companies all in every corner of the country that that are kind of part of like that mentorship advisory board. And so, so now, now here we are. Now I'm trying to figure out a whole new business and the franchising space, which yeah. is very different. From our, our well, this is fascinating. I mean, you mentioned some of the services that you've kind of figured out, uh, but just from a business nerd, uh, you would get a bunch of business owners to listen to this. So I, I don't think I'm alone. And I'm, I'm just kind of, I don't know anything about the moving business. I admit, other than I don't like doing it myself. And, <laughs> and, and uh, but I, you know, my, my uh, daughter is going to, grad school in Europe, but I, I was joking with my friends, it's not really a joke that I flew 5,000 miles to uh, put together IKEA furniture and move her apartment. You know, I mean, I'm like, that, that was just not the best vacation. Love seeing her, of course, but, uh, but from a sightseeing, uh, the IKEA was not the most exciting uh, sightseeing activity. So I, I, we, I even told her when we, we both agreed, I'm not doing that again. We're not moving again. Like, well, I heard somebody move you. But what are the two or three things that the small kind of maybe mom and pop moving company what are the biggest struggles you think they have? If you had to name two or three key things, just curious. Yeah, I think I think most moving company owners, you know, they're not necessarily business people. They fall into the moving industry. It's um, you know, it's not really something that a kid grows up and dreams to be right. one day, uh, unless they're their family, unless they're like second or third generation, right. maybe. But um, I think most people end up taking a job like moving because it's the only job available to them, similar to how I kind of fell into the industry and. Uh, then they realize that the owner is making all this money, which a lot of times they're actually not, but they think they are. And right. uh, they try to, you know, think they can do it better. And so you have a lot of people that don't really have that business mindset, that don't really understand what it takes to be an entrepreneur, that don't have the people skills. So a lot of mom and pop companies stay very small um, because they, they just don't understand delegation. They don't understand numbers, how to read profit and loss statements, how to do cash flow projections. Uh, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole with that. Uh, they don't understand the KPIs that that they need to know to have a healthy business. Um, and then they don't maybe have the people skills to lead uh, a team under them and then to relate to their their ideal clientele. So uh, I see that a lot in our industry. It is very fragmented. It's a very fragmented space. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people in the the private equity space reaching out because they want to mm-hmm. get involved since it is so fragmented and try to roll up you know some of the industry yeah, makes sense um, and, and it's predominantly dominated by an older generation that's getting ready to retire huh. um, you know you've got all these van lines and you've got the, this very antiquated way of doing business and, and moving and just within the last few years we're starting to see a lot of technology come into it you know we've got 
really cool CRMs that are popping up that are competing with one another that are getting venture capital money. Uh, we've got uh, softwares that are making using artificial intelligence for estimating. We've got you know GPS dual facing dash cams on the trucks so that we can re- reduce some of our liability. Um, you know, there's a lot more of that that than existed before. You know, all of our guys they have tablets, so all the paperwork's on the tablet. Yeah, the customer has their own portal, so they can see the inventory before the move, the the quote, everything outlined, so that when they sign the paperwork on moving day, they're not just like trying to read through all this right. this mumbo jumbo. So a lot a lot of things are changing. Most of the companies I talked to at our reach street and on our, on my podcast started after 2008 uh, because there was a big opening in the industry. You had Everything was yellow pages before, you know, moving companies. That's how you started a moving company. You opened up a yellow page ad. Now everything's online. Yellow pages aren't really a thing. You know, you've got Google reviews. You've got a million different things online that you can use social media, um, you know, just search engine optimization. So that, that alone has attracted a more tech savvy generation. Um, And then, you know, you don't have to worry. You didn't have to worry about Google reviews before that. You now have to worry about people making a whole YouTube video if you suck <laughs> right? these days. So there's a lot more accountability uh, digitally there. Um, but also we saw the largest moving company, I believe in the world, at least the United States, Grable, go out of business in the last recession. Wow. Um, a, a lot of those van lines that have been around for over a hundred years uh, are struggling. You know, their their average driver is like 55 or 60 years old. And they're having a really hard time recruiting drivers into that way of life that live on the road. Oh, and that yeah. model is just, you know, it's not working very well right now until they figure out a better way. Because a 25-year-old, you know, eligible driver can go drive a, a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van uh, that has air conditioning and all the bells and whistles and move a three-pound box to somebody's door uh, and make, you know, $25, $26 an hour to do that versus making less than that to drive a big rig to you know from arkansas to new york and you know it's it's hard to get you know and they and the the 25 year old driving them you know working for amazon can be home by dinner time you know so there's it's that's that the labor issue is is definitely been a, a big point of concern for a lot of moving companies over the last few years what's your soul for that just curious yeah, I, I mean, a lot of it is the technology and just the culture that we're able to build. Being a younger, more energetic, more ambitious company, you know, we've got a really fun culture here at Two okay. College Brothers. Like we, uh, we just we just have fun, and and that's missing from a lot of the older companies, the the hard knocks, school of hard knocks guys that are just blue collar and rough around right, the edges. Right. Um, so you create a culture and- that that you people want to work in, and and I think now we're kind of, and this is the reason I you know really wanted to have you on. Wade, is, you know, it, it, since this is the Generous Business Owner podcast, one of the things, number one, I love that about the culture you're trying to build to attract people, because frankly, that's a that's a generous move to build a culture where people want to come to work. Frankly, that's generosity to your employees. Of course, it's good for the bottom line, but uh, it's not one or the other. It, it, building that, so we've, we've had people on like Mark McLean that are uh, runs a big software company that's just uh, obsessed with building a good culture, mostly just out of respect for his people, but it also is good business for retention and, and that sort of thing. We had another guy on, uh, Henry Kaster, who runs a, a series of private equity firms uh, that invest in entrepreneurs who want to treat their people well and uh, reach the gospel and do all kinds of things uh, that are positive for the world. And what happened is he realized, you know, for every 100 deals he sees, he does one. 
but he started, uh, you know, faith driven investor, faith driven entrepreneur so that he could serve more people. And I kind of think you sort of fit into that. Of course, you want franchisees, but clearly not all of your listeners or people that come to your retreats. You know, you're, you're really, I, f- I feel like you're giving away kind of the keys to running a good business. And hey, folks, if you're running your own uh, business and you want to do that, Godspeed. But if you'd like to do it with us, it, it seems like more fun and easier. Uh, do it. So maybe could you speak to that philosophy, just how you think about that? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's just a mentality of abundance. I, I didn't. Yeah, know, so I like that word. Yeah, I didn't know where the podcast was going to take me when I was starting it back in like 2017. I, you know, I just thought it could open up doors, and and some people would have probably been, uh, you know, shy to give away a bunch of information on a podcast, and uh, you know, those weren't those weren't my guests. You know, I found people that shared that same mentality and aligned with that, and you know, same thing with the retreats. You know. Like there's competitors in my market that we are pretty transparent with each other. Like there's, right. it's it's good to network with what could be a competitor because then you can work together to to rule out the the rogue players in the industry. Right. You know, you increase the overall consumer trust in your industry so that they're not hesitant to hire you and pay the prices that that a business owner deserves. And, and so that you can afford to pay your guys more and offer them benefits and offer fun, you know, perks for them and do cool stuff in the office. So, you know, it's just, it's that mindset of just being open to, to helping other people. You know, I like to spend my time with 30% of people above me, 30% of people mm-hmm. on my level that I, we can push and hold each other accountable. And then 30% of people that I can help below me because you never know, you know, when they're going to be able to help you again in the future. And then 10% to yourself. It's important to reflect and and keep a clear head and meditate and enjoy your personal life. Because after all, like, you know, that's why are we all in business? It's the, it's the have a better life for our, ourselves and our families. So you need well, to, you I need love to love that 30, 30, 10 kind of the, that, that is an abundant mentality. I'm, I'm just thinking a lot of people think, uh, of just it, even in giving, uh, of, of money, like, okay, I give 10, but I keep 90. What you're basically saying is I'm sort of keeping, you're doing time but I'm keeping 10 for my own sort of mental health is almost like a Sabbath kind of thing that we would say, but, uh, but 30 above 30 at the same level and, and, uh, 30 below. I really like that, uh, that kind of model. And, uh, uh, well that, that's super cool. I, I love the way you're, uh, you're, you're, you're thinking about that. So, so how, how is that franchising business going now? Where, where are we going to, how, what's the size of it? How are you doing? Yeah, so I'm learning something new with it every day. Uh, we we just recently started doing it, and so I've only sold the one location so far. I am trying to, you know, obviously grow it. We're trying to do it the right way, though. I don't want to be one of these companies that sells 100 franchises in the first year and then loses complete control of, of this animal. Uh, I, I we're focused more on regionally selling it across the southeast, you know, Florida especially, because we can uh, basically build up, you know, that that regional brand recognition that way we i can get a car and drive to somebody or they can drive to me if they need some help or i want to go help them uh it allows us to work with the same suppliers so that we can get more purchasing power there more marketing power more marketing leverage um and just have a closer community that can get together a little bit more franchisees so i'm I'm really in no rush to grow the franchise i want the right people to come my way and part of the reason i do these podcasts and try to help so many people is I just want, you know, I want to be that magnetic person that, that, that draws the right person that aligns with my values, uh, to come, come my way, because that's one of the, the biggest things I've learned so far in franchising is that, you know, 
it all comes down to who the franchisees are. And it, I don't, I, just because they have the money doesn't mean it's right. somebody that I think is going to fit. So uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to trade shows. I, I'll be going to a couple this fall. I uh, went to a couple last spring and, uh, you know, definitely getting the word out and trying to, trying to spread our reach. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, I just want to be very selective. I've got a good thing going with the, the core business here locally. I've got a great franchisee up in Gainesville that's, that's taking it to another level. Uh, I've got several other businesses that I'm a member of, including Titan Retreats. So uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not in any rush. It'll, it'll all come my way if I just do the right things. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love these terms that you're using, like values alignment. You know, we, we talk to a lot of uh, young professionals and young entrepreneurs, and they're like, well, you know, what kind of, what's, what's your practical tip for them? And I'm always like, find some place that's values aligned, right? So it's not just about the X's and O's, but whatever industry you're in, find your people, you know, and, yeah. uh, and then this word transparency with each other. I just love that. And then this abundance mentality. I do not think those things are commonly used, but I think they're critical to kind of uh, building this sort of thing. We have a lot of kind of older entrepreneurs that have sort of been there and done that and have all these war stories. So it's kind of fun to have you kind of earlier, uh, than, than, than our typical guests, just fighting those battles and learning those lessons, but having that mentality you know, we know where that leads because those kind of uh, phrases you're using of abundance and transparency and, and, and that, that those, those are the tips those older people get. But for maybe your peers or somebody a little bit uh, behind you on the, on the journey, you know, we always like to wrap the podcast with just a practical tip. So it might be something you already said or something else that pops into your mind, but what would be something you just leave with folks? Yeah. So there, there's two things. One that I wish I had not waited five or six years to do is to seek out mentors and find mm. people that are doing in my industry that I want, what I wanted to do. And as soon as I started doing that, 2017, 2018, everything started to click. I had a roadmap, you know, I was reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of podcasts. Like I was hungry. I was desperate for, for this information, but, but it wasn't until I was able to connect with somebody who was doing exactly what I wanted to do is when it started to make sense. And through the podcast and the retreats, uh, I've been able to do a lot of that. And then the second thing is just learning how, you know, how to look at your numbers, like how to look at the KPIs. I thought when I was starting off that that stuff wasn't really that important, even though I'd taken the finance and the accounting courses in college, I just did enough to to get by onto that. And I didn't, you know, I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll market out, sell and all the cash will come in and I'll just, you know, figure that out later. I'll hire somebody to, to, uh, to manage the books. But uh, but it really is important to have a, a thumb uh, a pulse on your on business with the numbers and knowing what your KPIs need to be. Uh, and I didn't even know what what that phrase was or what the, where they needed to be until I found the mentorship that said, okay, your labor percentage has to be here. Your cost of goods sold has to be here. Your net profit should be here. Uh, before, I was just like, how much money is in my bank account? Can we afford that? Okay. And then a week later, oh shit, are we going to make payroll? Like. <laughs> That was, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, the early days, and it took me a while for, for it to get through my hard head that, you know, those two things were very important. Well, Wade, uh, I just want to thank you for uh, those are great practical tips, and I always want to thank you for uh, being on the Generous Business Center podcast this week. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I All right, and everybody, uh, we do have a new YouTube channel. Check out the Generous Business Center on YouTube and generousbusinessowner.com dot com and sign up for our uh, newsletter. And uh, please share and uh, leave reviews, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. 
Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.